Good morning. Turn with me your Bibles to Psalm 119. If you're just joining us, we, uh, we're in, currently in a series uh, to start the new year. We, we uh, at this church, we believe in the Word of God. Uh, we believe that it is true. Uh, we believe that we need to obey it. But we'll be honest with you and say that we don't always desire it like we should, and we don't always obey it like we should. And so we are, for the first of the new year, taking a few months to look at Psalm 119. And what this is, is an unnamed author, an, an unnamed psalmist, uh, wrote basically a love point to the Word of God and his great love for the Word of God, which became the longest chapter uh, that we have in Scripture. And so we are turning to him uh, to gain a deeper desire, to grow in our desire to be obedient to it. This morning we'll be in verses 17 through 24. 17 through 24. This is what the psalmist writes. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimony. Even though princes set plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. This morning I want us to look at delighting in the Word when you are under attack. If you keep up with the news at all, you know that things heated up between us and Iran over the last couple of weeks. Uh, they were threatening our embassy in Iraq, and uh, President Trump made the decision to take out one of their military leaders to show that don't do that right but then after he did it everyone was very scared okay what is iran going to do in response many begin to talk of world war three the gas prices shot up People begin to Google what is the draft? How, you know, what age do you have to be to be drafted? People, and in short, there was some conflict and everyone freaked out. And rightly so, right? Scary in those type situations when countries are at odds, there's consequences. Well, it ends up Iran launched some missiles into the dirt. America decided not to respond, so everyone, for the time being, it appears, has stepped down. And so everyone kind of breathes a sigh of relief. Gas prices have gone back down. We live in a world of conflict. 
whether it is national or personal, it tends to bring great stress into our lives. Just, just like how nations handle conflict have huge consequences, so does how we handle personal conflict have consequences. We see this morning that the life was not perfect to the writer of Psalm 119. He was a man under conflict. We as Christians at all, one, at all at one time or another will have lives that are under conflict in various, from various sources. What I, what, I, what I want us to think about this morning is even when we are attacked, the Word of God remains our help, our delight, and our authority as we seek to live for God's glory. Before we get going on the main points of the sermon, I want to take a moment and establish what we know from these few verses about what is life going, how's life going for the psalmist. When we see all the joy that's coming out of his life and, and all of his, his love for the Word of God and his desire for it and his, the time he seems to dedicate to it, it begs the question, what's his life like? Right? Like, how does he have all this time to read and, and just gloat over the Word of God? Is he independently wealthy? Does he even have a job? Does he ever get out of the house? Or does he just sit at home taking pictures of his coffee and his Bible just with the hashtag blessed? It's easy to be all about the Word of God when things are well. But what about when life is going wrong? What about when we are even being attacked? We see in our text this morning that the life was not perfect for the writer of Psalm 119. He is attacked. We see some things about his attack. He's attacked by those who don't play by God's rules. Verse 21 calls them he says they are insolent. They have a lack of respect of God and those who align themselves with God. He says, hey, they, they wander from your commandments. When people want to bring us down, it can be difficult to face the reality that they don't always play fair. Like when you, when you don't want to please God, when you have no desire to live your life according to the Word of God, the men, everything's on the table for them. All types of deceit and vindictiveness, of lying and scheming. It's all on the table because they don't care about God and what God has said. So they don't always fight fair. He is attacked by those who seem to see him as a bridge to be trampled on. Verse 22 says that he is being uh, tempted to be, to be viewed with scorn and contempt. They have fixed their eyes on this writer of the psalm and said, that is our enemy. Now it's likely maybe as a man who is sold out to the Word of God, maybe he hasn't done anything but been righteous. But for whatever reason, they see him as a bridge that needs to be trampled on. They see him as their enemy. They see him as their enemy. He is attacked by those with great power to harm him. 
It would be a small matter if some had set their sights on him as an enemy with, with no power, that were small, that were beneath him. But we see that, verse 25, it says, even though princes set plotting against me. So his dilemma is, I'm dealing with very, very powerful people that don't like me and want to harm me and want to bring about pain in my life. These were people that could cause him actual harm. Not just threats, they were princes, they were people of power. And he says at this time, they are plotting against me. They are currently scheming against me. So the idealistic and joyful psalmist is not a man without suffering. As he is writing this psalm, powerful people plot against him. But even in the, in the, even in the midst of this attack, he extols, extols the Word of God as his strength. I want to notice three things that we see him delighting in the Word of God under attack. He says, first I want to notice that while attacked, the psalmist seeks his deliverance for the glory of God. The first question we need to ask ourselves when it comes to our desire to be spared in an attack is, to what end? Why do you want to be spared? Why should God ultimately spare us and allow us to come out of the other side of an attack unscathed or alive? Is it for self? Do you ask God for deliverance for your life so that you can spend it on your own passions? Our brother here in Psalm 119 asked for deliverance for a very specific and good purpose. In verse 17, Deal bountifully with your servant, he prays, that I may live and keep your word. His desire for the sustainment of his life is so that he can live and keep the word of God. He wants to be sustained so that he can continue to live for God's glory. He identifies himself here as a servant, as someone who, who remains Aligned with, uh, aligned with God and says, hey, I'm your servant. I want to do your will. People are oftentimes quick to turn to God in times of attack. They want God to come to the rescue, but often it's for their own gain. I've noticed this at times in counseling people, especially couples. One couple comes and they, man, they've never been godly. They've always been a horrible spouse and an ungodly spouse. And they come and, and they want that spouse, they want their husband, or they want their wife to move back in with them. And so they'll come to the office and, and they'll make all kinds of promises. I'm following God now. I'm going to be the most godly spouse you've ever seen. You just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And oftentimes they will. They'll do it. And sometimes the change is permanent. But very often, as soon as that spouse gets back under the roof, 
all those promises go by the wayside. Why? Because it wasn't really about God. See, it wasn't about obeying Him and being the husband or the wife that that God wants them to be. It was really about, hey, my life is difficult because I don't have my spouse with me and I just want them back and out. So it was all about them and not about God. Their obedience was never for God. It was to get them what they wanted. Not so with the psalm writer Psalm 119. He wants to know that if God deals bountifully with him, if he preserves him through this attack, that his life will always be lived for the honor, for the glory of God. This is about God. God's central. Not just surviving the conflict. God is central. We see in our brother here a simple and long obedience in the same direction. His love and desire for God's Word doesn't seem to fluctuate with the circumstances. In fact, he says in verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. In peace and in conflict on the good days and the bad days, on one thing remains constant in his life is his longing to know and to obey the Word of God. Next, we see that while attacked, the psalmist asked God to show him wonderful things from His Word. So it says in verse, in verse 18 and 19, there's some of the most, to me, just, man, they're beautiful uh, in this chapter. He says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. We know that we are tempted to be blinded to the promises of God. We live in a world that constantly is trying to blind us to what truly matters. The world is constantly right before our eyes, screaming and yelling for our attention. And that goes doubly in the moments where we're attacked, when things are not going well for us. We're so tempted to just look at the circumstance. This is awful. This is terrible. This will never end. But the, So the psalmist is careful to ask the Lord to open up his eyes in this moment that he may see through all that is happening to him to see the wonders of of God's Word. He desires to see himself as a sojourner on the earth, realizing that that what is true and what is lasting and what is right are the things of God. That while he, yes, he lives on this planet, he occupies, and yes, we live here, it's where where we live, but it's not our home. And he realizes that he is investing as he keeps and loves and cherishes God's word, he is investing in what is eternal and what is his true home. And he's asking God, hey, keep my eyes open to that. We also see in this phrase, we see that insufficiencies rest within us, never within the word. If the word of God is not wondrous to us, it is not the fault of of the word. It is the fault of our vision 
It's our eyes that need to be opened. God's Word is always there. It's always shining. It's always bright. It's always wondrous and beautiful. It's just that our vision is sometimes impaired to see it. This is why Bible study oftentimes must be an act empowered by prayer. Don't rush in and just open your Bible and just read it and say, I didn't get anything out of it. But how did you read it? Did you open it asking God, God, today, show me something beautiful out of this word. Awaken my heart to the verses that I'm about to read because I know that these verses are special. They're your word. They give life. They give meaning. Don't rush in, but take, but realize that there's a supernatural thing that is happening as you open up God's word and ask him to open it. We also see through this phrase is that God's spirit alone holds the meaning of the word of God. We see that it is the work of God to bring meaning to the scriptures. Folks, you do not find your own meaning to the, meaning to the scriptures. You don't. Setting in a circle and asking everyone what this scripture means to them is not Bible study. We don't turn to the scripture to find our own personal truth. There is only one meaning of scripture, and that is God's meaning to the audience he's writing to. Our job is to mine the Scriptures for God's meaning. meaning. We do that through careful study. We, who is speaking? Who is the audience? What is the context? What type of biblical literature is this? But not only do we find God's Word, God's truth through careful study, we find it through illuminated study. That is reading it with the regenerate heart of the believer and asking God to open our eyes that we may see wonderful things that are there. Now, just in case you're confused in this moment, this is not to say that the Scripture's effect is the same for all people at all seasons of life. But those different, that different, those different effects come in the form of different application not different meaning of the Word of God. We say this often, but let me say it again. Any given Scripture has one meaning, but many applications. So while we don't sit in a circle and ask, what does this Scripture mean to you? We certainly can sit around and ask the question, what does this Scripture mean for you? You see how words matter? Words matter. What does the scripture mean to you in the sense of what truth do you get out of it? It's not good. What does the scripture mean for you in the sense of how does it apply? That's right and that's good. It's what you should be asking of God's word is what does it mean for me? Those words matter. It matters, y'all, how we, we got to be careful with the word of God and realize that it is God who, who holds the truth of his word it is God who reveals that truth to us through careful study. Not subjective, what's it feel like? It's, 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 it's true, and it's real. It's His truth, and it's his, it's his meaning. And then we 
then ask him to reveal all the many beautiful applications to our lives. We see here that while attacked, the psalmist also he yields to the authority of God's word for direction. It says in verse 23 and 24, Even though princes set plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Let me tell you something. Something you will never lack in your life is counselors. Most people are quick to offer advice. I've been plagued as a person, I don't know why, but people very, feel very comfortable talking to me about what's wrong with me. It's amazing. Most people come, like if their hair's messed up, no one's going to say, you got a really bad haircut. With me, they will. They're just like a straight, like you got a bad haircut. Thank you for being honest and, and being my counselor. It's my, my blessing, I guess, that I know what's on people's mind. You're not great, Adam. Thank you. But people love to give their advice. Especially when you're being attacked. They say, hey, aren't you going to punch back? Don't be a doormat. Stand up for yourself. Let's go talk to so-and-so. I know they don't like them either. We can get a They'll be on your side. They lied about you. Why don't we spread some lies about them? Don't forgive. They don't deserve your forgiveness. They're just going to do it again. People love to prepare battle plans for you when you are under attack. So who do you listen to when everyone is speaking into your ear? Well, Psalms opens psalm 1 1 opens with this blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sets in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the lord and on his law he meditates day and night we are to not listen to evil counsel but to listen to the counsel of our god his attackers may have wandered from God's commandments, but he would not. God's commands would continue to be his delight, and they would be how he would draw up his battle plan in attack. They would be his counselors. Christian, I wonder, when conflict comes to you, do you listen to the counsel of the wicked, or do you listen to the counsel of the Word of God? The wicked say, punch back. The Word of God counsels in 1 Peter 3, 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. The wicked said, hey, form your team. Get people on your side. Go gossip. Go tell everybody what this person did to you. Word of God counsels in Matthew 8, 15, if your brother or sister sins, Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. The wicked say, don't forgive. 
The Word of God counsels in Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Folks, let's be real here for a moment. We say as Baptists that we believe in the Word of God. That we believe every word of it's true. But you know the true test of your belief in the Word of God? You know the true test is when everything turns against you. When you are under all kinds of of, of conflict in all kinds of conflict and none of them are playing by God's rules the question then becomes do you really do you really believe in it do you really think that obeying it is best do you really think that that will lead to God's blessing on your life that's when the proof really comes of hey is is God's word really really true in your own mind Is it really beautiful in your own mind? Do you fight your battles according to it? So oftentimes in the heat of the fight with our spouse or the moment that our kids do something we don't like and the Bible goes in the trash. Not literally, but figuratively, we fight our own way. It should not be so, Christian. It should not be so. If you love God's word, you'll love it at all times and you'll fight your battles according to its rules. Imagine how your relationships, your marriage, your parenting, your friendships might prosper if you would, even in the midst of the fog of war, delight in God's word and let it be your counselor. Let it be your counselor. Christian, Who is attacking you? What is bringing you conflict? Is it someone? Is it a boss, a co-worker, maybe a fellow Christian, maybe even a spouse? Maybe it's not a person. Maybe it's your own sinful passions that are ruling you. Maybe it's tragedy that continues to attack your life. I would imagine everyone in here, on some level, in some degree, is under attack. Let's say to you that even when we are attacked, even when we are attacked, the Word of God remains our help, delight, and our authority as we seek to live for His glory. God's Word remains our help. Verse 28 in Psalm 119 says, My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to Your Word. When your soul melts away, look to the Scriptures to strengthen you. God's Word, it remains our delight even in conflict. We know the truth that we know, we know the truth in Christ that the psalmist couldn't quite yet comprehend. In 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. Talking about Jesus. That is why it is, uh, it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. You know, if, if the psalmist with the limited amount of the scripture that he had, the limited amount he had, we don't. He, it's not like he had the 
entire Old Testament at his house like we do, especially not the New Testament. If he can delight in it in hard times, how much more should we who have that the whole thing, the Old and the New Testament, and, and, and then also know Christ, that all of these words find their yes in him, how much more should we ought to delight in God's word because of Christ? saying yes to all the words of God in His coming and His presence to us. And God's Word remains our authority. Is that even when our enemies wander from the Word, keep, keep it as your authority. Even when your enemy despises the Word and casts it aside, live by it, fight by it. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, the greatest conflict that you're in right now is, is the conflict that you have between you and a holy God. That's your greatest conflict. But thanks be to, to God that He sent His Son to die for us to settle that conflict, to reconcile to it so that God's Holiness could be upheld in his punishment of his son on our behalf. But then his love could be displayed in that offer that if we would simply believe, we would be reconciled and that conflict that we have with God would be taken away. But you have to believe. You have to believe on Christ this morning to know the end of that conflict that rages between you and a holy God who hates your sin. What more could he possibly do than what he did in sending Christ? I'm going to ask you to respond however God has placed on your heart to respond to his word this morning, to think through the conflicts that, in your, that are in your life. How are you fighting? Are you, do you remain delighting in, in God's word and making it your authority? And if you're here and you don't know Christ, I would love to talk to you about it. There's people around you that would love to talk to you more about how to make that true in your life. So I'm going to ask you to please stand as our musicians come back up. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we live in a world of conflict. God, we need you. We need you. We need your word to equip us. God, help us even in the midst of conflict to delight in your word, to live by your word, even when things heat up. God, help us to hold fast to your word. God, I, I pray that you would do wonderful things, that you would bring much peace in this room for those hearts that are hurting under conflict, that even in the midst of conflict, they may have peace with you and your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.